And now, here's your host, Alessandra Torresani. It's such a beautiful name, Melisma. Where did Melisma come from? It's actually a musical term. A lot of people think it's a typo on Melissa, but it's actually a technical musical term that has to do with hearing a note on several syllables on one note. Oh my gosh, were your parents in music that they came up with this? No, there's a there's a great story behind this. So my last name is Cox, which is short. Yeah. So my mother wanted a a long first name oh. and she took music well she took music appreciation in college and when she was pregnant, she took a speed reading class. So she speed read her college musical textbooks wow. and she came across the word melisma and that's that's how I got my name. Oh my gosh. Well, I, I am loving that. And I'm now I'm going to go through all the books and just start speed reading and see what I can find in there and see if I can find any names <laughs> because that's yeah. amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, I first and foremost want to thank you so much for coming on Emotional Support. And um, for everyone who is listening right now, this is such a special treat and kind of just such a, a magical moment. Um, one of many that has happened throughout this whole pregnancy for me of people reaching out because of the People Magazine article and just being able to interview such incredible people such as yourself. But I think what's extra special about you um, is that I actually read your article that you wrote for the Washington Post um, before I actually even started the interview with People Magazine, um, which was a couple months before it had come out. So we had been working on that article for a bit and all the facts and information. So before I get into the article, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about Melissa McCox? Okay, so a big part of my story and a big part of my mental health journey is that I immigrated to the United States when I was 13. Oh, so wow. I had, yeah, so I used to live in the Bahamas. My We're parents in the are Bahamas. Not from I there. love the Bahamas. Capital Island of Nassau. So I spent my there many first 13 years there. Um, my parents are not from there. So it was kind of like a passing by. Um, but I came to Florida and it, it was a huge stressor for me. And when I look back now, I can see that some of my, my mental health symptoms were triggered by that stressful event. I had a tough time in high school and college with symptoms that I didn't recognize and symptoms that my family didn't recognize because there was a lot of ignorance and uh, stigma around mental health. Sure. And so I had a big breakdown when I was 21 and it turned out to be a schizophrenic disorder. Mm. And what were some of the signs when you were younger that now looking back at it, you can identify and say, okay, this is what schizophrenia is and or what it wasn't or anxiety one of my biggest symptoms when i got my diagnosis was paranoid delusions mm. about somebody in my past who i thought was going to uh, hurt me yeah when i look back now i remember starting to have insomnia at the age of 12 and for me when my symptoms flare up insomnia is one of the biggest red flags and so i look back and i wonder well that was the start of adolescence. Um, schizophrenic disorders, a lot of mental health disorders come out in late teens, early 20s. And so I had my biggest episode when I was 21, but I'm pretty sure those symptoms were building up 
in those teen years. Right. And schizophrenia, correct me if I'm wrong, because I know a little bit about it, but certainly not enough. Um, it's also genetic as well, right? Or is that... Right. Right. That is true. That is true. And this is the thing. So my parents were getting treated for depression while I was in high school, but they didn't tell me. So it was all very secret. It was very hush-hush. There was stigma. So there was definitely that genetic component. And so the fact that I came down with this diagnosis is not surprising because my parents also had mental health diagnoses. And were you an only child? No, I have an older sister. The situation is, though, when we emigrated to the Bahamas, my sister had already finished high school. So she wasn't really part of my my world. And we were never close in the first place. So right. it wasn't like that would have made a difference. Right. And when you lived with, I mean, you still do live with this, but when you were in high school and when you were younger, you know, what were kind of the feelings that you went through now, like knowing what it is, where, you know, you did have the paranoia and you had all of that. But did you have any sort of outlet to, you know, be able to help with with this? Did you have friends? Did you have teachers that you kind of could talk to and and ask the questions, even if you didn't know what the specific disorder was? This is the thing. I've done a lot of reflecting um, on my journey because I've been working on a memoir that kind of helped me process what I went through and where I'm at. So I've done a lot. I spent a lot of time reflecting and... I've I've looked back and people have asked me, people who've read my memoir of draft, they said, well, why didn't you ask for help? And the answer is, I didn't think I had a problem. Oh, I couldn't ask not. for help. Because I, right. I didn't think I had a problem. I thought it was normal to be disconnected and lonely. I didn't really see I didn't really see any adult as being available that I trusted. I just didn't trust anybody. I didn't trust anybody. Right. And so I didn't ask for help. I, I didn't think I had a problem. I didn't think there was anybody I could turn to. And another thing that I've learned from doing research on schizophrenia symptoms is something called negative negative symptoms or something like that. And one of them is just trouble with social interaction. And I can think of plenty of times where I've been extremely uncomfortable as a teenager in social situations and where I would just be with my parents. I would just say nothing. I would just say nothing. And that was that's a negative symptom, which could be misinterpreted as, you know, teenage surliness. But for me, I look back and combined with those other symptoms, I see that was a negative symptom. And here's another thing. I was a brilliant student. So nobody thought anything was wrong. You know, I was doing great in school. And so there were no, there was no warning signs. And I didn't even know, I couldn't recognize the symptoms. My family couldn't recognize the symptoms. I wasn't close to anybody else who could recognize the symptoms. That's why I went undetected for so long. And it's so interesting that you say, you know, you were such a brilliant student because I feel like the most brilliant ones that are students, I mean, not to put everyone in a category, but usually the ones that are just flying by in school and having a great time, they're the ones that actually have something going on inside in in their mind and that they, you know, no one thinks like, oh God, they couldn't possibly be a problem. There's, there's not, Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with them. You know, how could, Mm -hmm. and it's always the assumption of there must be, you know, something wrong with someone if they're not getting an A, but what if they are getting an A and there's still something wrong? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I I think that that's what's so, it's so tricky. And and now with you being a teacher, you must have such a different point of view looking at, at your, your students and, and children and stuff like that. 
But wow, that's so interesting. So when you finally got diagnosed with schizophrenia and you had this kind of aha moment and this breakdown, what was it? Was it, were they able to detect what it was right away? Because for me, like for bipolar disorder, it took them uh, up until, you know, years, 10 years for them to finally diagnose me with bipolar disorder. I was mismedicated. I was misdiagnosed. It was all sorts of a mess. So was it very clear for them what what your symptoms were? No, not right away. When I first saw, uh, the first thing I did was, I was actually living in France. I was living in France, working as an au pair after college. I wanted to learn French. And I just started to decline. Mm. What I mean by that is I started having relentless symptoms. And the symptoms were I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I had I had a failed relationship. And I started feeling a lot of shame and guilt. And I was just moping around. And so my parents actually detected that something was I was on I was I was not right. So my parents brought me back to the United States right away. And I saw a psychologist. Mm. So this was a psychologist who wasn't an MD. Right. So she, but she had, when, when she heard me talking about my symptoms, she helped with the therapy. When she heard me about my symptoms, she says, this is, this is something that's beyond um, therapy. It's med- medic, something that needs medication. She referred me to a psychiatrist. And so the psychiatrist started asking all these questions to, to, to rule out this or that condition. And that's when I was diagnosed with a schizophrenic disorder and given an antipsychotic. So I have to tell you, when I took the antipsychotic, the delusions disappeared like that. Wow, it but was that fast. It took, it took, yes. Like maybe, let's say a week or two, the delusions disappeared, right, with this antipsychotic medication. But it took me years of therapy to understand how I had gotten to this point. I had a lot of thinking patterns that were, like, wrong. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking, I've, I've, lear- I've learned a lot about how, how the way you think can affect the way you feel. Sure. Right. And so I had a lot of, I had a lot of beliefs that were wrong. So I had to undo them. And that's years. That took many years. Oh, I was very recurring neural pathways in your head. Yeah. Of yeah. Course. And I wasn't, I wasn't like a model patient. I was very angry. I was, didn't believe what the therapist said and want to talk them and then but I don't know somehow over the course of the years I started accepting it mm-hmm. and I would have a really important story about that acceptance my first therapist was blind and so she had done all her her degrees with braille with books on tape wow. and she had a, she had a seeing eye dog so she told me look I can't see I can't even pick out my own clothes I can't even drive to work I have to accept other people to help so that I can function. And so that helped me accept medication was okay if it helped me function. And I'm telling you, I would not be a functioning member of society if I did not have these medicines. I love you for sharing that story. That's such a beautiful story. And so just, wow, that's incredible. What a, what a fabulous story. But I am such a firm believer too as well in medication. On medication completely saved my life. And it's, it's true. Once I finally, once they were able to diagnose me for what, what, what it was and they told me, oh, you know, hasn't anyone told you you live with bipolar disorder? I was like, what? And it was this like, <gasps> this deep breath where I finally felt heard. Um, my medicine worked pretty fast, I would say. I, I wouldn't say as fast as yours, but I mean, certainly my mindset was better. 
because I was at least aware that there was something that was wrong and that this is what the particular disorder was and there was a way for them to fix mm -hmm. it and there were therapies that could help mm -hmm. out. So I, I can totally relate to you on that. What kind of delusions were you finding that like disappeared right away? Like what would be an example okay. for someone who may not so, know what a delusion yeah. would be with schizophrenia? Sure. So I only had um, one main delusion. I had a failed relationship and I had a delusion that this person was going to hunt me down and kill me. Right. So I had this fear that this person was going to stalk me, hunt me down and kill me, which was clearly not based in reality. Sure. But when I, I, I clearly remember going to the psychiatrist and him asking me things like, do you hear voices? Do you feel as though you're getting special messages transmitted through the radio that nobody else can understand? And those are symptoms of schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. But the only one that I really had was these paranoid delusions that I was going to get hurt because this person was going to hunt me down. Wow. And so once you finally got the medication and then you're working with these therapists and you're feeling like so great and you've got, you know, excuse my friends, you've got your shit back together and you're just like, I am just kick ass and just doing the best. How, you know, was that transition for you? Were you almost, I don't know if you found this, but I almost was like thrown off how good I was feeling. Like where it's like, oh, this is what normal people and I use normal like in quotes, like, is this what normal people feel like every day? You know, is this what is this how a, a person functions on a daily basis? Did you feel kind of re like a sense of relief? It did, It wasn't quick. Mm. I would say the first year I came back from France, I did nothing. I did nothing. Mm. I just I, I remember I remember the recovery months um, where I couldn't get out of bed. I, I had to, I was sensitive to light and noise. I had to cover my eyes, turn the lights off. I remember when my father would come talk to me. My father was very caring and he was, he, he, he was very supportive. I remember thinking that my father was going to hit me because I was bad. And I remember having trouble understanding things like television because it wasn't real. And I remember hearing ads on TV about some college holding classes on nights and weekends. And it bothered me that there was going to be no more time after nights and weekends were, were used up. Right. So I remember those months of strange, strange thoughts. So the, so the first year after I got into recovery, I started um, a master's program in therapy that I was not ready for so I failed out of that right I failed right. out of that and then I tried another master's program at home where my parents were living in journalism and this was a time when I was taking uh, th the almost a maximum dose of this antipsychotic medication made me so tired made me so oh. sleepy so I managed to 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 pull myself through this master's program sleeping 12 hours a night every night oh my gosh so, yes because it made me so sleepy it made me it was this huge sedative right so that was the first that was the first two years and then and then i moved away because i i wanted to i wanted to stand on my own two feet the story about how i really got into like a good groove kind of ties into the story about when i met that first gynecologist who said 
you're not going to be able to take these medicines if you're pregnant. So, so should I get into that story? Oh, I would love to. And I want everyone to be able to look it up too. So I'm just going to read it exactly. So the article that you wrote was for the Washington Post and it was called, I took antidepressants while I was pregnant. It wasn't a choice. And I found this in a very deep dive um, when I was searching for medicine. I mean, not when I was not searching for medicine, when I was searching for information for myself. And I'm not sure about you. This article was written in 2016, correct? I think so, 2016. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yes, it was was, a while ago. Mine was very recent, you know, obviously, because I'm here. Um, But what what I would find is I, you know, had been told my entire adult medicated life, you know, from multiple doctors, not just a current one from multiple doctors, Oh, there's absolutely no way you can stay on your Lamictal, which is for the bipolar disorder. It will harm your baby. There are side effects. There's things that we don't know about. There's things that we do know about. Um, You know, what's the risk? What's the reward? All sorts of things like this. And when I was, so when I had weaned off my medication, I had gone down 25 milligrams every two and a half, you know, weeks. And I would reassess and see how I was going. And I finally got pregnant. I would have these moments of, you know, sadness, not even sadness. I don't like saying sadness because it wasn't sadness. It wasn't like depression. It was more just anxiety and anger and fear and and stress and this volcanic eruption inside me. And I would look up bipolar pregnancy and I would look up, um, you know, uh, mental illness and pregnancy at X amount of weeks, at 22 weeks, at 27 weeks. You know, and I would not find anything except for on Reddit. And it was these support systems and support groups that were on Reddit. And then there were Facebook mm-hmm. groups that I had also found. But at the time, I was anonymous and not not wanting to share my pregnancy. And I was like, I don't really trust Facebook because I don't want to mm-hmm. do that. I don't know why I trusted Reddit, but I did at the time. And mm-hmm. it truly, I have to say, saved me and helped me feel like it was okay that I was not alone going through this. But I couldn't mm-hmm. find many articles. There was one article that was called Bipolar and Pregnant that that someone had written for a mommy blog, and then I had found yours. And so I was reading, mm-hmm. and while we have different diagnoses and, and different, you know, mental illnesses, it's all under the same beautiful umbrella. Um, mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I felt like, wow, this is so cool that someone is writing about this. And it inspired me to be like, you know what? I I feel like I need to talk about this because this is from 2016. Where's the 2022? You know, we've had such mm-hmm. advances even in just six years of medication. Why are we not talking about some of this stuff? Um, so that's where you come in. And you had your conversation <laughs> with your OB. And what did your OB tell you? Yeah, so I would say my early 20s when I was finally on my feet – I went to a gynecologist. I was still kind of not quite at peace with the fact that I was taking medicines, but I did it because I never wanted to go back to that place where I felt before. Right. And the 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 OB said, "Well, you, you just have to stop taking them." And I'm like, "I don't think you understand. I can't just stop taking these medicines." Right. And so I let it go. So I would say in my late twenties, lots of happy things happened. I I met. The man who'll be my future husband. I've been married to him for 15 years, oh, and I met him in my late. Wow! Yeah, thank you. So, so I met him in my late 20s. It was 
a strange time because I had a different, I had a different psychiatrist and I remember telling him, you know, I'm not going to get pregnant now, but how about I just do an experiment and get off these medicines? And he's like, I don't think it's a good idea, but if you want to, let's try it. And I, I started, stopped taking the antipsychotic completely. Almost, I still took the antidepressant because one thing I should clarify is with schizoaffective disorder means I mostly only have symptoms of schizophrenia when I'm depressed. So I take a medicine for depression and also for um, uh, delusions, antipsychotics. I take two. So I stayed on the antidepressant, but I stopped taking the antipsychotic. Almost immediately, I could not sleep. So I was building up months of sleep deprivation. I would I would fall asleep fine, but then I would wake up two hours and later. Insomnia would and I couldn't back. get Yeah, it would accumulate. So around this and another here's another thing. I started losing weight because I had no appetite. I lost 15 pounds in two months because wow. th- that's what the medicine did for me. I It caused me to gain weight because it gave me an appetite. So I was losing weight. And around the same time, I happened to meet the man who was being my husband. And I was he was, he, he was, um, here's another story. Like when you tell your significant other, by the way, I have this condition, right? So I told him I have this condition. And he, what he said to me changed my life. He said, I accept you. Right. And it was just, a, just it was just like simple. Yeah. So, so th- what this, what this comes down to is after about uh, six months of sleep deprivation, I start. I had a horrible panic attack. I just woke up and I just started screaming and I ended up going to the emergency room on the beach where I was staying with my boyfriend at the time. And I get to the emergency room and I, they, I said, I can't sleep. So they tried to give me some drugs to make me sleep. They tried one drug. It didn't work. They tried another drug. It didn't work. And I finally went to, they finally identified um, a mental health professional who said, you are having a relapse. And I, and I, I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Right. So that's when I knew I can never stop taking this medicine. Wow. And this was before even the pregnancy even started. Yeah. So, okay. So, so now flash forward, I, I was married to my husband about four years before we started thinking about kids. I had a new psychiatrist who just painted an entirely different picture. He said, sure, it's unethical to do experiments on pregnant women who take medicines versus those who don't. But he said, in my experience, women, so, women can take some medicines with with uh pregnancy she's he what he said was you have to weigh the risks versus the benefits if i am not in good shape i'm not going to be making good decisions for my health Absolutely. my baby's health right and so he, my my psychiatrist wasn't worried as much about the antipsychotic uh-huh. he was worried about the antidepressant that i was taking so he switched me to a different class of medicines and don't ask me which class it is i don't remember he switched me to a different class of medicines, I took that. That were going all the to be same. in quote unquote safer. Is that kind of what safer? Right. Yes. Okay. Yes, safer. I I remember early in a pregnancy just having these crying spells, right? 
But I had other pregnant friends who told me they also had crying spells in the beginning of pregnancy. Right. But when, when it seemed like I was too much, I called my psychiatrist and he said, we're going to increase your medicine just a little bit more. Okay. I, incre- I increased it once at the beginning. Right. And then I I was fine rest of the pregnancy until the very end. Because I don't know how far along you are, but at the very end, I don't know. For me, it was very emotional. I started wondering if I had any right to have a child because I wasn't I wasn't in perfect health. Right. You know, I was going to possibly pass on this condition. Um, and 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 then when my son was born, he was perfectly healthy. Oh. I was. I was I was relieved and I also never breastfed because this is a conversation I had with my um pediatrician. He said there is no need to subject your child to your medicine through your breast milk when formula is fine. He yeah. I said, "Should I go to a milk bank?" He says, "No. You don't know how milk banks are screened. Formula is fine. Your baby is getting antibodies through you during the pregnancy." And I don't think a lot of women get that message, right? No. A lot of people think, "Oh, well, breast milk is the end all be all," and it is just not. No, and I I'm so happy that you're sharing this because, you know, that's something that was my biggest fear and it's it's, it's a decision, you know, that I that I have been struggling to make of do I get back on my medication and not breastfeed? Do I breastfeed and stay off my medicine? Like, do you formula? Do you milk bank, you know, and find that? Like, there there are so many questions and so much stigma behind just general mom stuff, right? The mom, mm-hmm. you know, blogs. Mom shaming, mom shaming if you don't breastfeed. Just exactly. ignore it. Exactly. Whether there's something in the mental illness department or not, you know, it's 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 shameful, you know. So I think that it's a decision that I'm still working on and still talking about. And I'm so happy that you brought that up. And I am so, you know, happy that you had such a beautiful, you know, baby boy that was, you know, healthy and happy. And I think that the most important thing that you did was take care of yourself for that child, Mm -hmm. you know, because I think that Mm -hmm. that's what my OB has been very, you know, comforting about is, you know, he told my husband, you know, you have to be my eyes and ears because I am obviously not with her all the time, but you have to take care of yourself because if you're not the best version of yourself, you can't care for this child inside of you. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really important message that gets missed, whether there's medication or not, you know, in general, like just in in life, you just have to be be the best version of yourself for this critter that's inside Mm -hmm. you that's growing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And when did you decide to write the article? Okay, before I go into that, I just want to tell you a little bit about my postpartum period. Please, because I just had so many wonderful specialists that came on to talk about postpartum depression, and it is a topic that is not discussed enough, so I would love to hear your story. You hear about the baby blues? I I had, I had, I had, I had, I had a kind of like an identity crisis when my son was born because I thought to myself, who am I? Right. Am I still me? Right. You know? And right. so I don't think people talk about that a lot. But um, at one point, I was just crying too much. I was just crying for no reason. So called my psychiatrist again. He said, 
you know, your hormones are rushing out of your body because you're, you know, your body is recovering. The hormones are rushing out of your body. You know, you're in my case, like my chemicals were rebalancing. Right. Yeah. So he said, so in your case, you're going to take more medicine. So that's what he did. I got even more medicine in the postpartum period. Mm -hmm. And then it, it helped me with my postpartum depression. I wouldn't call it like a severe condition, but I definitely think that I had an effect of the hormonal and the chemical adjustment, which the medicine helped yet again. And how long did you wait postpartum till you contacted your doctor to get fixed? Um, I think it was a couple weeks, right. a couple weeks, right. because uh, I, I've, I've, I've learned to become an advocate for myself. If something's not right, I'm going to get for help. Yep. Right? And that's something that I wasn't usually like that. Asking for help didn't come naturally to me until much later. But I was like, this is not right. There's resources there to help me. I'm going to call on them. So oh, let's call I, my doctor. I, yeah. And that's so lovely because, you know, I, after, you know, I did not know much about postpartum depression. I just was scared of bipolar postpartum psychosis because it was something that I had been told. Yes. Very, yes. you know very popular with it's, us bipolar, you know, disorder people. And then the risk was very high for me and I should be warned ahead of time. And it was so scary because you learn about this and you're like, what's bipolar disorder, psychosis, postpartum. And you're like reading and it's when you believe your baby is a demon and you know, you don't want to continue on with your life. And I'm like, what? And I'm reading all of this. And, you know, I, I'm also seeing that it's like, oh, it's a 99% chance that if you live with bipolar 1 disorder, you're going to get this. And then you read something else that it's like, oh, it's very rare, but when you do get it, it's extreme. And like, you need to be locked up. Like, there's all this information all over. And yes, it's on the internet, but also, like, when you ask doctors, a lot of doctors aren't familiar with it enough if they're not in the, Mm -hmm. you know, they're not psychoanalysts, if there's not psychiatrists or, you know, so forth. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very scary and very difficult to to distinguish what's 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 good what's bad and all of that so I think that you know I've been really lucky to learn so much that that 80 percent of women have the baby blues and if you start feeling Mm -hmm. still bad two weeks afterwards that's when you should start contacting the doctor and it's just wild to me because I never would have thought 80 percent eight out of ten people that I know who have babies experience the baby blues and I didn't know that you know and they didn't talk about it it kind of makes sense though when you think about the hormone adjustment sure, it can, it it can affect your mind right? yes right yes. no it totally makes sense well I'm so happy that you shared that you you know went through the postpartum you know mood and anxiety or the rebalancing and getting yourself back together so what made you want to write the article what made you want to share your story with the world. I will tell you that for about 20 years, I said nothing to anybody about my mental health condition. I was afraid employers were going to find out. I yeah. was afraid that I would, I, I was afraid people would think differently of me. I will tell you what happened. I joined Toastmasters. What's Toastmasters? Toastmasters? Toastmasters is a public speaking organization it's a leadership training organization that teaches you how to speak publicly more confidently. 
so I started doing Toastmasters in 2015, and during the first segment of the program, your tenth speech has to be it's it has to be the theme is inspire your audience. I thought, I guess I've got a good story. So I spoke about my mental condition, my mental health condition, for the first time publicly at my club, and absolutely nothing happened. And I realized, you know, people 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 don't care as much as I thought they would, right? right? right. And so I saw about the Washington Post parenting blog, and I, I like to write. I write a lot. It comes quickly to me. I, I formulate the thoughts, and I remember. I remember. I wrote. I wrote that article because a friend of mine had written an article for the same blog. And I thought, well, she can do it. I can do it. Right. And I wrote that article, and and then I started. Then I started to to to, to not care what other people think. Nobody at my job changed what they felt about me. Nobody, you know, rejected me. And this is not. This is not a reaction I expected. I don't know what I expected, right. and I realized that. People, there's more value in me sharing my story than in me staying silent. So then I started volunteering for NAMI, which is the the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Started speaking to groups, and the more I spoke about my mental health conditions since the articles, like the less I cared what other people think. Because right. luckily for me, I have not had negative backlash. Right. Luckily for me, it could change, right? So then, so then I just became a huge advocate. I was like, I'm going to speak out so people can see that having a mental health diagnosis does not have to be devastating. And I, I want to speak about how, you know, nothing wrong with taking medicine and there's nothing wrong with asking for help. This goes to what I'm trying to teach my son. There's nothing wrong in asking for help. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. I love that you're speaking to so many women. Have you had so many women just come forward to you and share their own stories, finally feeling like I've felt heard? Not really, because usually when I, when I speak at the NAMI events, it's, it's not necessarily individuals who, who, who suffer from a mental health condition. It's mostly people who just want to know about it. But Interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. But that's I wouldn't, great, no, too, I would, because I would, you're educating people yeah. like like you're yeah. educating me. I mean, I, this is my world is learning about mental illness as someone who lives with it. But I don't know quite a lot about, you know, schizophrenia. I didn't know that there was one what was affected by depression more than just regular, you know, psychosis. I, I didn't know these things. And that's what I think is so important. And that's why stories are so important for others to hear so they can understand and be, you know, even if they can't relate to you, they can be compassionate and loving. You know, and, and understand. Well, I did. I, I did write a memoir, which any agent is listening is ready to go. Sixty-five thousand words because Amazing. I want. I want people to say, well, the, uh, I can learn from this story, or this story can help me because I think there there is not enough said openly. Maybe things are changing a little bit, but I really think that. By speaking openly about these conditions, the stigma goes away and people feel less afraid to ask for help. Absolutely. And you are a teacher, which I am just... Yes. Hats off to you. That's such a fantastic job. And just what a, what a loving human you are just in general to be doing that. Have you, you know, seen with... I mean, obviously in general, just with COVID, everything going on and all of, you know, the tragic events that, that continue to happen in schools you know, mental illness and mental health is, is fought, like, you know, failing. We are failing our children. 
what do you bring to the children? Do you share your story or do you talk about mental health in a very open, you know, in an open, I don't know, how, how does one approach a child, you know, and as a mother, I guess, as well? That's a good question. So I've only been teaching for one year because I'm a career switcher. But um, th- my school has a program called Project Finder, which is such a fabulous program for high schoolers. It's it it's a year long program. It's got like a journal where it actually teaches students the skills to handle setbacks before they have a mental breakdown. It's almost like preventing the mental breakdown. It's teaching them to look at things from different perspectives and it's teaching them to recognize they have mentors and and, and, and people they can trust. And so I think that is my contribution to helping educate children about mental health. And I talk about my story all the time. I'm not oh, ashamed to talk about it. I, I'm, I'm not, I, I, my students know that I've, I've seen therapists. I take medicine. It's nothing to be ashamed about. Yep. So I do bring that. I do bring that to the classroom. And do you talk about it with your son as well? Oh, yes. From a from a very early age, I've talked to him. And, and I also try to teach him those resilient skills, kind of like, uh, what's what I'm looking for, fortify him with those emotional skills. Because if he does have my genetic condition, he's he, he I he I would hope that he would have more coping skills than I ever had. Yeah. And also the fact that and here's another thing. So when he was really young, he had occupational therapy. And I was very open about using the word therapist, therapy, asking him how was your therapy? You know, what did your therapist say? So that he's used to hearing the, the word as nothing to be ashamed about. Right. Right. And I think that that's so important, identifying the word that it's just a normal, it's a normal thing and it's great. And if anything, Mm -hmm. it's actually Mm -hmm. like a really cool word. And it's a great, it's a great, it's a great thing that we, we have a tool to be a part of. Can't even tell you, it's just so surreal that I'm getting to talk to you after reading this article and it being such a help for me in my journey at the very beginning. I have to ask you, Melissa, uh, my favorite question that I ask everyone is, what is your emotional support? Oh, my husband is my rock. He, he, from the very beginning, he, he's just so accepting, so supportive. If I have any issue that I'm struggling with, I talk to him. He, he and I, he and I are are a a team and, and he, he, I would just emphasize, he's just my rock. Oh, I absolutely love that. I appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and just being a part of this. And it's so wonderful. And I hope that so many moms and dads and even not even moms and dads, just humans in general, read the article and go back to really understand what a struggle it is to make the decision. Do you stay on medication? Do you Mm -hmm. go off? you know, and, and so forth. I think that it was just really incredible of you and brave. And I just am so honored to have been able to have a conversation with you. So thank you so much, Melissa.